0: Welcome to the AF Mentors podcast. This is for coaches who care about impact and are ready to be pushed outside their comfort zone and into growth. You can find out more about AF Mentors at afmentors.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the AF Mentors podcast, the Q&A version. Version? Most of them are Q&As now, aren't they? But I do have some chat for you to start with today and then I will get on to the excellent questions from the group by the way if you're not in the AF Mentors group you're missing out and so is your business so you should sign up at afmentors.com okay enough with the sales pitch I was at IFS this week this last weekend and I'm very tired from it but it was incredible and one thing the the prominent theme I would like to think was that no one is better than you but you are not better than anyone and I really liked that and everyone was just sort of getting on with each other and it didn't matter if you had 10 followers or no Instagram or you weren't even a PT or if you were you know James Smith everyone would speak to everyone so I thought that was a really really nice vibe and they did it incredibly well and it was a hell of a lot of fun and if you haven't been I would get your ticket as soon as the next one's open up which i have no idea when that is also you should be coming to level up in edinburgh because if you're on afm you get the first day completely free or if you're on eiq again first day completely free which is very very exciting and there is not just talks from amelia and i on the first day but also from some of our students or graduates more to the point that have done eiq and these talks are like phenomenal I am very, very excited for them and topics that we haven't covered in a huge amount of depth. So things like um, breath work, things like pre and postnatal, things like pelvic floor, um, more stuff on menopause, because can you even do enough on menopause? Apparently not. Um, Relationship with food, some stuff about, I'm going to articulate all this stuff really badly because it's not in front of me, but the I guess nuances of bodybuilding and how to sort of navigate that world without ruining your relationship with food or body image which is a very tough topic to navigate so I'm I'm really excited about these topics. Anyway what I actually want to talk about today before I got sidetracked by my own brain, how rude, was something that I've been thinking about which is and I'll be honest, like I did think about this quite a lot at IFS and it's lack of questioning certain narratives and ideas. And it is awesome to hear from others and to learn from others. But do remember that it's easy to think that someone is right. And I say that, like, including me, including me on this podcast, I like question everything I say. But it's easy to think that someone is right when they are up on stage talking about their opinion, essentially, from one side, like it's one narrative. And this is why I like Q&As and debates so much and having guests and things on podcasts, because books, things like books and solo episodes of podcasts are often listened to and you're only hearing one side of an argument because it's kind of been cherry-picked for that side, right? Whereas I often argue with myself, so it might not be quite true for my own podcast. But I think hearing it from different sides and... Playing off the arguments on both sides of an argument or the pros and cons of certain things is so, so useful and so important. So if you are listening to a solo episode or you are reading a book, like start kind of questioning it. Like if it's surprising, be like, oh, okay, well, what about this, this and this? And really think through some of the ideas. And the idea isn't to like catch people out and prove that you're wrong and they're they're Sorry, you're right and they're wrong. (laughs) But it's just to have a rounded view and to have like critical thinking skills, which are really easy to lose when, especially when you respect someone or they're an authority figure or they're on stage or they're in your head and on a podcast or something like that. And I actually think that a lot of the common advice has huge problems in and no one really seems to question it. And I think one of the ones I've noticed most recently is increasing your prices so the standard advice is to just keep increasing your prices if you're full right so like oh I've, I've got full clients so i'll just increase my prices and it makes sense like supply and demand and you know you don't want any more clients so you may as well be increasing those prices and you know if a few a few clients drop off because you increase your prices that's not necessarily a bad thing because then you can fill people up at this new higher price But, and this is the big but, many people will have a cutoff where they will not pay any more, right? Those are the people that are dropping off. But the thing that people don't question is that for many people, this cutoff will be the same. So despite this, like often this is spoken about as if it's like a sliding scale, like a linear sliding scale where if you increase by X percent, you'll lose X percent of clients, So like, oh, if I increase by £10, then I'll just lose one client, fine. If I increase by £20, then I'll lose two clients, that's fine. Like, there seems to be this narrative of, like, a sliding scale. Like, only a certain percentage of your clients would drop off. In reality, I don't think that's true. This is not me saying don't increase your prices. I just think you need to be critical about how you think about this and be aware of this. So as an example you might have 50 people that are willing to pay you 150 pounds at the moment and then you raise it to 175 pounds and only two people drop off cool that's fine that's that's great actually you're still making more money and you you've got some time back but then let's say the next time you increase your prices you you increase it to 200 but this time Like if you were doing, say, an intake of something, this time you only get 10 signups as opposed to 50 when it was 150 because for a lot of people, 200 pounds is the mark of the cutoff that they will not pay. So they're like, oh, that's a bit of a barrier. Like, no, I wouldn't pay 200 pounds. Like I'd pay 175 at push, but I wouldn't pay 200. And most, like there will be a large percentage of people that have these same cutoff points. So it's not just like, oh, only a small percentage will drop off. I hope I'm articulating this right. Or oh, like not right, but, like, in a way that people understand. Because it's pretty common, but it's rarely spoken about. And most people do have a cut-off. That's why people have prices like, oh, it's £199. Because that's completely different than £200. Like, obviously, people know rationally that it's £1 less. But if in their head they're like, yeah, but I wouldn't spend over £200 on blah, then that's the cut-off for them. And as soon as it hits 200 it kind of feels a little bit different. And that's where someone would start questioning it. Now, my point is that... And by the way, I'm just using these random figures off the top of my head. It doesn't really matter what the figures are. But my point is that many of your clients will probably have that same cutoff. So you might think, oh, you know, I'm only increasing it by £10. So I'll probably only lose a few clients. But actually, you might end up losing a hell of a lot of clients because for many people, a certain cutoff is a certain cutoff, right? Or you might be doing it at a time where actually you know cost of living is a thing and they're like oh an increase in price and "Mm, actually i was already kind of thinking like half thinking i don't know if i 100 percent want to stay on and now this has given me a nudge in the other direction of actually i'm not i'm not gonna stay on with this or i'm not going to sign up for the next block so the point is a high percentage of your clients may feel this way about a certain price increase or about a certain time of a price increase so instead of thinking I'm right raising my prices by a small amount I'll only lose a small amount of clients and then I'll still be better off you are in fact then not better off because so many of your clients leave and depending on your values and why you run your business the way you run your business you might be far worse off so for example my biggest um value for business is impact so like I don't want to undercharge because I know people don't get good results when you undercharge and to be totally honest I want to make good money but I also don't want to overcharge because I want to help as many people as possible which means I don't want to be charging you know like some people three thousand pounds a month and just having three clients or something no I'd rather help as many people as that would equate to at a hundred odd pounds a month in a group coaching program So it's not as simple as just raise your prices and accept that some people will leave. You have to think about how many people will leave because it isn't incremental. It's likely to jump. So just be aware of that when you're thinking about price increases. And I'll add to this that people won't like this because it's not as simple as the advice of when you're full, increase your prices, which, you know, is nice and simple. And I enjoy nice, simple advice, but nice, simple advice is not always the right advice, sorry for that pause, I was like, oh my god, this hasn't recorded, it has, it's fine, okay, excellent. Um, what else did I want to say? I guess my point here is that that may sometimes work, but it's important to think critically and think through these things, and not just blindly follow advice, and actually this was something that James Smith brought up in one of his talks, And it was about survivorship bias and survivorship bias is the fact that we usually only hear about people who were successful in their endeavors. And then we don't hear about all the people that weren't successful. So we might hear about the people who increased their prices when they were full and it went really well and they only lost one client, but they actually managed to increase their revenue by 20 percent or something amazing. But actually, we don't hear about the people that increased their prices and then loads of their clients left because they're not shouting it from the rooftops right unsurprisingly or in like more I guess famous examples of this like we know about the Beatles we know about Amazon we know about like the underdogs who made it but we don't know about the thousands of other bands that didn't make it or the millions of businesses that failed like 95% of startups fail and millions of kids will be really into sport but never make like the Premier League of football. And yet we only hear about that tiny percentage that do. And survivorship bias is the reason that we should stop looking just to successful people for advice. Because they may well, very well have got there despite their actions, not necessarily because of their actions. And there will certainly be a huge element of luck involved in that as well. Before I move on from pricing and go on to the questions, um, another thing that I just wanted to touch on because it's kind of related to this is the anchoring effect, which is one of the reasons why you shouldn't start with mega low prices. The problem with setting prices too low initially is that then it's very hard to increase them due to this anchoring effect. And the anchoring effect is simply like the first price that someone hears, like it gets stuck in their head. So the first price that you set acts as an anchor point which is why it's then hard to increase, at least for current clients, right? New clients, it's less of an issue because they don't have that initial anchor. But anchoring is also why people think that they're getting a really great deal when they've got a discount, right? Because you've told them a price, oh, it's £100. And then you're like, but today it's only 75 And they're like, oh, great, I'm saving myself a load of money. Actually, like both of those prices are kind of made up, right? But price of everything is kind of made up. The value you give to something is the price it is. But setting people an anchor point or a start point like or something in their head that they're used to paying makes them very unlikely to want to pay over that and makes them also quite excited about getting to pay under that because they feel like they're saving something. And understanding like there's so many little cognitive biases like this or heuristics or certain ways of human that humans think. Understanding behavioral economics is super, super useful in your business, not just from... A marketing perspective but actually from a coaching perspective as well which is why I did that full behaviour economics course which may have seemed completely irrelevant but actually has made me a far better coach and a far better mentor and marketer so something something that I think is underrated is doing something that is like completely out with your field like most people would be like why does a personal trainer need to know it about behavioural economics well my friend Because I want to (laughs) be, I want to know stuff that other people don't know, basically. Right, I'm going to the question post. Here we go. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. Hi, tips for Facebook page growth, please. Most of my clients come through Facebook over Insta. So I'm looking to get my followers up on this uh, platform. Any tips, welcome. Thank you so much. I've not done a lot on Facebook for a while, but I think it is quite underrated and I think... The algorithm is maybe a little bit more friendly in many ways than Instagram. Something that used to work quite well. I don't know if it still does, but I think it does. And it's the only ad spend I've ever done. And it's basically putting a one pound boost behind a post because then on the post you can add a link. So say you did a post all about, I don't know my three underrated tips to help you lose body fat quickly maybe something less cheesy than that but hey that might have been it right and then you could have a link right there on the facebook post that says like click here for more information or it might be click here for your free pdf version of this and you could collect emails or it might be click here to sign up to my course Then you've got like it's almost turns into an ad straight away. Now, obviously, you're not going to get a lot of reach from one pound, but actually the one pound is what allows you to add the link to it. So that might be something to think about. And, you know, one pound isn't a huge investment in marketing and you could test these things out, like go and look at the analytics and be like, did that work better? Did I get more click throughs? Did I get more interest in this? You might even just be having a link to, I don't know, to open up Messenger so they can message you or to send them to your WhatsApp or, you know, to open some kind of conversation with you. It doesn't have to be direct to a cell. It could be like leading them, leading them down your funnel, which is a lovely way to talk about nurturing a relationship with a client. Lead them down your funnel, babe. I hope that helps you. Um, and then I think kind of the basics of post frequently, um, interact with people, reply to comments, you know, all the same stuff that you would be doing on Instagram, but make sure it's also tweaked to that platform. So just posting your Instagram content on Facebook, probably not the best idea, making sure that it's actually appropriate to the Facebook, um, Algorithm and how how you would post something on Facebook, for example, not load not like a swipe through carousel because that looks shit on Facebook You'd want to make sure it was maybe like a one a one picture thing or it's a video and that it's in the right format And it's the right picture size all these things. They make a big difference Okay, next question Similar to the above, still not getting enough new followers or interest in online coaching. Is it worth going into groups and friending strangers or even contacting local women's group and going along to do a talk? Been approached... Okay, right, I'm going to start with that. One, it's not about following. And I can't emphasise this enough, and I talk about it all the time. You're probably all bored as hell of it, but it's really, really not about following. If people are following you for the wrong reasons, it's pointless. Like, if you get a cat meme that goes viral there is literally no benefit to that whatsoever unless a percentage of those people are also interested in fat loss but they're not following you for fat loss what you want or you know whatever your niche is in this example i think it's menopause like help around their menopause that's the content you need to be putting out and those are the people you need to be attracting you could friend people in groups This does sometimes work. So for those of you who are OGs, um, that's basically how Emil built his business. It's a slightly different community, um, the kind of entrepreneur type. But he was like, I added 10 people a day and got into conversations with 10 people a day. Like that was my thing that I did. I showed them how I could help them. I offered them some free advice and then I tried to book them onto a consultation call. It's slightly different because of his business model as well. It was very high ticket. It was worth doing that. It was worth doing the calls. Like this all kind of comes into the price that you're paying. Um, It might be worth trying it, testing it. All this stuff is about trying it and testing it. In fact, something that Amelia was talking about in our presentation this weekend at IFS was a study where they looked at two groups of entrepreneurs one of which was told to behave like scientists, and by that they basically meant test things, like test hypotheses, hypotheses, whatever, whatever the word is, right, test things, and don't get upset if they fail, because there's no failure in science, it's just, okay, that didn't work, So, so that then tells us, that then informs us on the next experiment, like basically this is the whole way that science works, is Let's figure out, you know, you're kind of standing on the shoulders of other people's research. OK, well, they figured out that in that context, blah, isn't effective, but we're going to figure out whether it's effective in this context. Then you kind of add to the knowledge that we have. And then you, you're not like it, there is no failure of an experiment. Right. It's just figuring out what the the actual outcome is. And the same is true with business. It's like instead of thinking all these things are failures, like I'm going to try this here. Why don't you try talking to 10 people, friending 10 people every day and talking to 10 people every day? If it doesn't work, what have you lost? Now you know that doesn't work. Okay, great. Let's move on to the next thing. But the important thing is to try it for long enough to actually see if it's working. Because a lot of people are like, yeah, I did one Instagram live and shockingly, no sign ups from it. So I just don't think Instagram lives really work for me. I'm like, do it for 30 days. Do at least five a week for 30 days and then come back to me and tell me it doesn't work. Until you've done that, like, you, it's just a waste of time. Like, you, you haven't learned anything. So you could try that. Um, the second part of your question is... I've been approached by a company to basically pay a franchise fee and have a licence to do talks on menopause and use their resources. Thoughts on this, please? I'd like some more information, please, as to what that is. Um... Because I don't know what you mean by their resources. If you mean they have a captive audience that you could present to, maybe. But if you mean, I don't know, something else, then, you know, maybe not. I don't know. Um, next question. I'd like to get an online coach just to see from the other end how someone is running a successful one-to-one business. I'm a little concerned about it making me feel inadequate, but I'm going to try and have a different mindset about comparing myself to others. Clearly, this coach will be in AFM, obviously, only the best, and already running a successful online business. Any suggestions of how I should approach finding the right coach for this, or should I just sign up with ESG? Well, I have recommended, because this person also has a niche of menopause, Catherine, because she is incredible with that niche um but I, the reason I actually read this out because it's not actually that relevant because I've replied already is that I think it I mean I've spoken about this before but it's such a good thing to do even in almost actually in any context when you're a consumer just start thinking about like what things that you do and don't like and how you like being treated and what makes you buy and what makes you doesn't buy doesn't buy don't what means that you don't buy and how do you like to be treated and what are the little extra things that people are doing that actually made you feel really good like why would you go back to that restaurant why would you buy those shoes again like why why would you not go into that shop again why do you return to the same coffee shop? Like, what what is it about these things? And sometimes it's the product, sometimes it's the experience, sometimes it's the person, sometimes it's the location. Like, it doesn't really matter, but just start thinking about these things as you go through your life. Like, actually, like, what what little things make a difference? Obviously, it's so much more applicable when you're in the coaching situation. And think about it all the way through. Okay, like, this was how our consultation went, and then I got this information, And then I got this information and then actually I didn't hear anything for a couple of days. and I didn't actually know what was happening. Like things like that are so, so important. And actually Catherine will love the feedback as well. But seeing it from the other side of like, uh, actually that 24 hour gap, it would have been good just to be like, hi, thanks so much for your information. Now I'm going to take the next whatever it is, 24 hours to read over this and come up with a plan for you and you'll hear back from me within the next day or like whatever your time scale is right setting expectations for people so so important there's something called buyer's remorse which is something that or buyer's regret like where it's something you really want to avoid so especially online people will sign up for something and then they don't actually tangibly get anything for a period of time a lot of the time and that like avoiding that is quite important like okay so can you be like great you're signed up i'm so excited to have you what I need you to do now is listen to these three podcasts to get you set up mentally to approach this in the right way. You know, it, it doesn't matter exactly what it is, but like giving something in that, that stage is quite important. OK, next question. Any tips on self-compassion? I like to follow other coaches for inspo and learning. However, sometimes I feel it doesn't help. I've seen two coaches today with huge followings post a screenshot of how much interest they've had in their coaching, and I can't help but feel down that I seem fairly quieter than usual at the moment. I think that's really useful, by the way. A uh, useful. Um, I think that's really common at the moment, by the way. I know I need to put it into perspective, and I don't have the numbers they do, and probably haven't been doing it as long as those people, so probably answering my own question, but any tips... Okay, so I have a few tips here. One of the most useful ones, I think, is actually from Chloe Madeley, my incredible business partner. And, you know, she's in a slightly different world, like kind of the celebrity world. And it's very easy to look at other people and be a little bit triggered, especially people that are less qualified, less, to be honest, less skilled, less knowledgeable. Not as good at coaching as Chloe, but but have, like have these huge followings or you know seem to be doing really well or are getting like huge media attention and things. So it can be easy, quite easy to be like triggered by that. And we had a discussion about it a couple of times and how you can go from seeing comparison as like the feath of joy. I can never say that word feast thief Anyway, you know what I mean. Or as a way to inspire you. And she was like, one of the things that I do is I look at. Like, I'll look at those people because I know it semi-triggers and semi-inspires me to be like, I know I can be like, or I know I can be better than that. And then I won't look again. And I think that's the important part is that you don't just constantly compare yourself. Some comparison is actually quite motivating. A story I always tell about this is the story of Roger Bannister. So he was a runner and he was the first runner to ever break the four minute mile. Now, people thought it was impossible, like physiologically impossible to run a mile in under four minutes. So no one had ever done it before. And then he did it. And within the next two years, 300 people did it because he'd broken that glass ceiling because he'd been like, this is possible. And that's an example of, like, comparison actually being a good thing. Like, oh, look, he can do it. That means it's physically possible. That means I have the belief that I can do it. And look, 300 bloody people do it. Like, that's incredible. But, and kind of bringing this back to Chloe's point, I bet if you compared yourself in every single training session to Roger Banister or to another athlete and you're like, oh, they did one extra rep or they ran ran that split faster than me or they do a session on a Friday and that's my rest day and like that would be crippling that's what cripples people it's the constant comparison I actually think comparison is a inevitable and when people say that you should just stop comparing it's like (laughs) right but everyone compares nothing is nothing without comparison like you're only earning a lot of money compared to average you're only overweight compared to what's average you're only happy compared to what's out, you know like there is no there isn't really anything without comparison right so you can't avoid it it's just stupid to say that but you can avoid constant comparison and I think that's where the problem is so compare yourself sure and be motivated and actually being a little bit triggered can be motivating as well but then get to work focus on yourself stay in your own lane focus like again great example from athletics like focus on your own lane be motivated by others but don't look at them while you're trying to run like focus on yourself while you're doing yourself and also remember because you mentioned a post of a screenshot here sometimes people lie um and sometimes that's good for marketing so just be aware of that as well that like people might be like oh look my waiting list is so full and then you know, maybe like, maybe it's not full, but they want to create, because basically if there's a big queue, right, people are like, oh, there's a huge waiting list, well there's a big queue, oh yes, there must be something good at the end of this, and all like this really big, oh, I'm going to get signed up straight away, because she says the waiting list is full, like sometimes it's marketing, so don't, I mean, consider that as well, and I think that's all I have to say today, my voice is going slightly, um, But excellent questions and Mastermind on Thursday as usual. And if you're listening to this on the podcast and you're like, oh gosh, I should really invest in my business. Well, you know what? You probably should. So head over to afmentors.com.